Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we delivered. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in on our show today, which is February 19th, 2020. We have a really interesting subject matter. I've been doing this show for six years, and I've never covered this subject matter. Really don't know anything about it, so this is going to be a fun interview. So we're going to be talking with Jonathan Baylor, and he's authored a book called The Set Point Diet, but primarily he wants to educate us about metabolic healing and diabetes treatments. So to give you a little background, he founded the field of wellness engineering, and he's spoken at Fortune 100 companies, and he's done TED conferences for over a decade. His work is endorsed and, interesting enough, implemented by a lot of top doctors from Harvard Medical School. John Hopkins, and I think the Mayo Clinic, maybe Cleveland Clinic, and UCLA. So, great topic, great guest. Why don't you come on in, Jonathan? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I always ask this question. How did you get on the path that you're on today? My path started when I was very young. And since we have a little bit of time, I'll give you the extended version, if that's okay, because uh, it, it's meaningful. Uh, my path began when I was young, a young boy. There was a specific, very traumatic incident involving my grandfather, where he was in the hospital being treated for complications from diabetes. And I remember hearing him scream out from his hospital room, don't let them take my leg. Please don't let them take my leg. And he was screaming out of desperation. And this is a guy who's like, you know, he's a steel worker his whole life. So not used to hearing him scream and cry in terror. And that was actually the last sound I ever heard from my grandfather because the next day he passed away because the diabetes induced sepsis, which was going to cause him to require a, an amputation, didn't happen. My mother respected his wishes and that killed him. And mm. from that point on, I told myself, like, at, at that time, I didn't really understand what was happening, but I sure understood how terrible it was. And that then evolved into uh, just an epic multiple decade research journey to help end this hidden epidemic that is stealing so many lives from us. So give us the definition of diabetes. Here's the most shocking thing I've experienced in my entire life. And that is 
many people, yourself included, if you don't mind me sharing, ask me, you know, oh, this is your, this is your thing. Well, diabetes, this is a made up term that, that you came up with. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like a book title, it's like a marketing thing. And the, the shocking thing is that diabetes, if you go on PubMed, if you go on any research portal, is an established medical term. And not only is it an established medical term, but if you look at the data, like this is when everyone really needs to tune in. This disease, which we don't even know exists and think is a made-up term, is killing more people than either heart disease or cancer. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing. And what diabetes is, is we know it is just a fact that anyone who chronically struggles with overweight or obesity has a 90% chance of developing type 2 diabetes. And we also know that individuals who struggle with type 2 diabetes almost inevitably end up struggling with their weight. So this idea that there is this thing called obesity and there's this Mm -hmm. other thing over here called diabetes is not true. There is actually just one metabolic condition called diabetes that manifests in some people first as a weight issue and in other people first as a blood sugar issue. The blood sugar issue is called diabetes. The weight issue is called overweight or obesity, but they are fundamentally the same horribly deadly disease. And when you look at it that way, it really starts to change the conversation about diabetes, quote unquote, and obesity treatment and even the attitudes around them in our country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I really want to drive home when I said there's a 90% chance. Yes. It's, it's critical to understand that when we're looking at medical research, how meaningful that is. So let me, let me give you a, sure. a very specific example. Many people, if you say, hey, what causes lung cancer? I'll tell you, smoking does. Okay, and, and there's no question. Like people just say, yes, smoking causes. They wouldn't say smoking correlates with lung cancer. They would say smoking causes lung cancer. No debate there. That's a pretty well-established medical fact. If you look at the actual uh, American Cancer Society statistics, if you smoke for 40 years, there's about a 10% chance that you will develop lung cancer. Okay. So if you smoke for 40 years, there's a 10% chance that you'll get lung cancer. We don't know why. It's not a 100% chance, but it's not. It's about a 10% chance. There's a 90% chance that if you struggle with your weight chronically, that you will develop type 2 diabetes. So if we're willing to say that smoking, which only leads to lung cancer 10% of the time, causes lung cancer, then when we see an overweight child... And Mm -hmm. if that child steps into a school where the government is subsidizing soda, Mm -hmm. how, how are we not in the streets like we would be if there were cigarette vending machines in grade schools? True. Good point. So that's what gets me really fired up. (laughs) I would too. Because, I mean, all we ever hear about is, is overweight and, being on diets and diabetes and insulin. Yeah. And that's really shoehorning the problem. Insulin 
is a factor. <clears throat> Overweight is a factor, but mm-hmm. it's not. Let me give you another example. If somebody okay. goes to the doctor and the doctor says, ma'am, you have breast cancer. The attitude from that point forward that is echoed in society is fight this. Like you mm-hmm. can beat this. You can do mm-hmm. this. And everyone in your family, no one in your family is going to think you're being selfish if you change your diet to help eliminate breast cancer or no one in your family is going to be like, honey, I need you to not spend so much time treating your breast cancer. Can you come (laughs) over here and wash the dog instead? Right. But when we get, if we understand that more people, vastly more people are suffering and dying due to this disease called diabetes, Then when you go to family members or friends and we talk about what we can do to eat differently, to move differently, and it has nothing to do with eating less. It has to do with eating a higher quality of food. It has nothing to do with spending hours in the gym. It has to do with moving your body consistently in a sane way. Our culture doesn't support us in the same way that they would if we were dealing with any other form of a disease. It's almost like we blame this deadly medical condition on people being stupid and lazy. And that's not fair because it's just not true. Because frankly, if anyone says that is true, they're calling 70% of Americans stupid or lazy and saying that America is one of the stupidest and laziest countries in the world. And I Mm -hmm. personally don't believe that's true. Uh, the overweight factor, and particularly when you see it in children, if you look at the parents, it's very similar in probably most you cases. De- yes, you, you definitely see, well, there, and there's, there's two reasons for that. One is that weight is highly genetically related, highly, almost to the yes. extent that height is. Not completely, Mm -hmm. but if you have two very tall parents and the child's tall, you probably will think to yourself, ah, yes, they probably took prenatal vitamins when she was pregnant, but I bet it has something to do with the genetics of those two tall parents. And we do know that the amount of fat tissue that your body stores or or likes to store, and we talk about the set point later, that's the title of the book is about 40 to 70% tied to your genetics. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a certain weight. Any more if both of your parents were alcoholics means that you have to be an alcoholic, right? Mm -hmm. Lifestyle factors play a huge role. But there is a strong genetic component. And the other component, of course, is a house is full of low-quality disease-causing foods, and I, this mm-hmm. has nothing to do with where the food is purchased. You can buy high-quality, healthful foods at Walmart, and you can buy low-quality, toxic foods at Whole Foods or a farmer's market. It has to do mm-hmm. with other components of the food, which we can get into later. If, if a house is filled with only disease-causing foods, it's going to be very difficult for a child to avoid that disease. And what concerns me particularly today is that in the United States, the cost of food has gone up a lot. 
I haven't actually looked at the statistical data, but it is really getting expensive. And it worries me, particularly with the families that have, you know, a lot of kids they have to feed. It's definitely concerning. And it, it's also concerning that if you look at the data, the amount of time and money as a percentage of our day in our wallet that we spend on food has shrunk dramatically over the past two generations. It is actually much lower than it is in other countries. For example, the amount of like time and money that people spend in, on food in France as a percentage of their income is much higher than it is in the United States. And this is very important because investing time and money in food is becoming something that is less and less common in our culture. Now, we can have a separate conversation about where that money is going instead, but you, you are right that there is definitely an increasing cost in food. You're, you're, it's also the case that the government is subsidizing the exact foods that are bad for us. So in some ways, there are foods that are becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, but those are the foods we don't want to eat. And also a fact that just as a culture – we have turned into a fast food nation. I hate to use, you know, language that's sort of belabored, sure. but it's true. The days of I am going to cut up food, cook it on the stove, take some time, we're going to sit down, we're going to eat a meal, and we're going to spend 15 to 20% of our annual earnings on food, which most people might hear that and say, that's ridiculous. You, I earn whatever. You, the person says to himself, I earn $60,000 a year. You're saying that I should be spending $15,000 a year on food? If you look a generation or two ago, people spent anywhere from 15 to 20% of all the money they earned acquiring food. And if you think about it in like a global sense, shelter, food, and water are all pretty important. So investing yes. in those three things, not a bad way to use your money. I mean, I do know that the newest iPhone is cool. But it's really not much different than the last three iPhones that they came out with. <laughs> right, right. I agree. Well, all right. So let's get more into your subject matter and what can be done about it. And, and specifically the treatment protocols for diabetes? Yes. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've covered it in your book. Absolutely. Set point yeah, there's diet. really mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's many different tactics we can take to reverse the brain inflammation, the hormonal dysregulation and the gut dysbiosis that causes diabetes and what we refer to as an elevated set point in the book. But I want to keep it really simple because it frankly is. And that is we have to shift from a quantity-based mindset to a quality-based mindset. And, and what I mean by that is if you look, for example, around at the dialogue around food, people say we are eating too much. And that is not true. If you actually look at the volume of food that people are eating – our ancestors ate two to three pounds of plants a day. 
That's a lot of food. That's what, if you ask a human being nowadays to eat three pounds of food, they would say, what? Now we are eating too many calories, but we're eating too many calories because we're eating the wrong types of food. If you give your body food that breaks your appetite regulatory centers in your brain, that causes ravenous cravings throughout your body, and that doesn't provide you with the essential nutrients you need to live, your body in an effort to survive is going to demand more food, right? I mean, imagine if you walked into a room and the air, like there just wasn't a lot of air. I know that's kind of hard to imagine. Or maybe you walked into a room and the air had more carbon dioxide than oxygen in it. So you're trying to breathe, but the air isn't providing what you need. So you start <gasps> hyperventilating, mm -hmm. you start gasping, mm -hmm. your body is trying to take in more air. So if anyone said to you, calm down, you're over breathing, you would probably say, well, I'm not over breathing. <laughs> the, the air is Correct. not providing what I need. So my body is craving more of it. So are we as a nation eating more calories than we need? Well, absolutely we are. But the question is not just hold your breath. Or, you know, mm -hmm. just hold your mouth closed and eat less because then you'll just be eating two Twinkies a day instead of. Gotcha. Yeah. So it really does it, it, take you back to quality versus quantity. That's exactly right. So what are you advocating? And then, and then when we move forward towards the actual types of foods that are defined as higher versus lower quality, this is really where it can get a little bit tricky because if you ask mm -hmm. 10 people on the street what's a high-quality food, you're going to get 10 different answers. And some people are immediately going to say, well, it's anything that you buy at Whole Foods or it's anything you buy at a farmer's market and anything you buy at Walmart is low quality. And this is not at all true. There are actually four scientifically proven factors that are undebatable that determine the quality or whether a food is going to increase your health or harm your health over the long term. And those four factors are abbreviated using the acronym SANE, A-N-E. The S stands for satiety, or how quickly a food fills you up and how long it keeps you full. The A is for aggression, or the hormonal impact the food has on your body. The N is for nutrition, or the amount of essential nutrients that the food provides relative to the amount of addictive and toxic substances in it. And the E stands for efficiency or how readily your body can store the food as fat. So okay. there's, again, it's not the keto diet. It's not the paleo diet. It's not veganism. It's not vegetarianism. It's about looking at food as food and figuring out what is sane and what is insane. How do you do it? The easiest way to do it is you look at three factors in food, water, fiber, and protein. As a general rule of thumb, the higher a food is in water, fiber, or protein, calorie for calorie, the saner it's going to be. But I can make it even simpler for you. There's basically four food groups that make up the sanest foods in the world. The sanest foods in the world are non-starchy vegetables. These are vegetables that generally grow above ground and that you would generally find in salads and that you could generally eat raw. You don't have to eat them raw, but for example, potatoes do not grow above ground and you can't eat them raw. They're not a vegetable. They're a starch. So okay. non-starchy vegetables via any preparation other than deep fried are fantastic for you, and we want to eat them in abundance. The next food group is known as nutrient-dense proteins. So there's really two categories here. 
Uh, one are uh, an optimal group of, of foods that are primarily protein and contain just a tremendous amount of nutrients. And these are organ meats and mollusks. Most people don't like to eat those two types of foods, but I'm just here to tell you what the facts are. So a more common version of that is humanely raised meats and, and fish, as well as certain low-sugar dairy products. The third food group is whole food fats. These are foods that get the majority of their calories from fats so think and are not processed. They're whole foods. So think nuts, seeds, eggs, things like that. And the mm -hmm. final food group is low fructose fruits, or these are fruits that provide you the most of what you need and the least of what you don't, uh, for example, fructose or fruit sugar. So non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense protein, whole food fats, and low fructose fruits in that order. Hmm. So your low-sugar fruits would be probably your berries. Berries and citrus fruits, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So tell us more about your what's in your book. Well, the, the set point diet is really set out. It's the sequel to my first book, which was called The Calorie Myth. And the calorie myth uh, laid out this 15-year research journey that went on with top doctors at Harvard, Johns Hopkins, and UCLA, blah, 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 to basically show that everything that we are commonly taught about eating and exercise is at best wrong and at worst harmful. Mm. And, I mean, it goes from people saying eat less. Like, that's just not true. If you eat less of a standard American diet, you'll die. Like, that, the standard American diet is toxic, and if you just mm -hmm. eat 1,200 calories of it, you're in really bad shape because then you're going to be malnourished and blah, 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 and eventually you're going to end up eating way more, and it's gonna be, you're going to be way worse off because of it. So you don't need to eat less. You need to eat higher quality food. And sure. I can eat more of that higher quality food so you're too full. Like it's much easier to not eat crap when you're not hungry. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. people don't, like that true. doesn't seem to be, <laughs> you know. So here's what we're going to do. If someone is struggling with their weight, we're going to get them as hungry as possible by starving them. And then we're going to make them even hungrier by telling them to do cardiovascular exercise. And then we're going to tell them they can't eat the foods that both of those activities make them crave the most. And we wonder why 95.4% of people who go on diets end up worse off than if they never did. It's crazy. But yeah. instead, if you tell an individual to eat more of these delicious, whole, satisfying foods, yes, it's going to take a little bit more time. But you know what? If you could trade a little bit of time, like imagine there was any other activity you could do in your life that would literally make every second of every day meaningfully better. I mean, even the time you're by yourself. I mean, the time you're by yourself in the bathroom taking a shower might be some of the best time that's improved because you don't walk by the mirror and say, oh, God, I, uh, what other way can you invest time and money that will literally accrue you benefits professionally, personally, romantically, energetically, neurologically, every, when you are putting optimal substances in your body? You will reap the rewards in every area of your life, every second of every day, period. Like it's like seeing life in color versus in black and white. And the reason mm -hmm. I can say this is because we've worked with tens of thousands of people who've gone through it. 
And it's literally like taking someone who's walked around for 40 years without glasses, just thinking that everything's blurry, like walking down and thinking that on the side of the street are these green balls, never knowing that what a tree actually looks like because they've never actually seen a tree. They've just seen like brown with this green flourish at the top of it. And then they put on glasses and they're like, dear God. I, like this is, I would never go back. Like every experience I have is clearer and brighter and more enhanced. When we have the sense of self-love and energy and, and, and whole healthy living that comes from just making higher quality decisions, not through deprivation or shame, man, everything is brighter. Give us an example of what a breakfast, lunch, and dinner would look like. The good news is that Almost everybody already eats sanely some of the time. Like if you've ever eaten an omelet or scrambled eggs with some vegetables in them, mm-hmm. that's sane. That's totally sane. So it's not, I mean, this isn't, this is literally like take certain aspects of what you eat and do more of that. So for lunch, if you've ever eaten stir fried vegetables with some form of, some form of protein, Mm-hmm, That's extremely mm-hmm. sane. If you've ever eaten any combination of a protein and vegetables, that's sane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like sure. if you have a sandwich that you really like and you just didn't eat it on two slices of bread, it's probably mm-hmm. sane. And for dinner, we can literally, we literally have a database of over 1,700 recipes on our website and in our program where we can take literally any dish what we call sanitize it. So you like pizza? Beautiful. We'll have pizza with a cauliflower crust. You like lasagna? Awesome. We'll use zucchini noodles. You want spaghetti? We'll use zoodles or zucchini noodles, or we'll use spaghetti squash, or we'll use all shirataki noodles. We can literally take any recipe. We can take cake, cookies, pies, fudges, whatever, (laughs) and we can make them sanely because we're not saying like fat is bad or carbs are bad or protein is bad. If you tell someone mm-hmm. you can't eat fat, there really only is so much you can do. And there's really mm-hmm. only so much you can do, especially if you try to do that without fake foods, right? So, you, you know, you start to get these synthetic fake fats, fats and crap like that. But when you tell everybody, look, fat, sugar, salty, sweet, umami, all the flavors, they're all available. Just pick the sane versions of them. You can do anything you want with food. You just put a little bit of time and effort into it, but here's the beautiful thing. It takes less time and no effort over time because it's a habit and it just becomes the way you eat. And let me give you a very specific concrete example so that doesn't seem like I'm just blowing smoke. If you look at someone (laughs) who has a lifestyle, like someone who's a vegan or someone who's kosher or someone who's halal, someone who eats, in a quote-unquote atypical way, not because they're trying to adhere to some diet or not because of some they want to look a certain way, but because they believe at a deeper level that eating this way is meaningful for like a deep reason, vegans don't wake up in the morning going, damn it, I really want some bacon, and gritting their teeth and saying, if I could only eat some bacon this morning. They look them not eating bacon is actually easier for them than eating bacon would be. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's like if you're, if you're in a loving, 
relationship with another person, cheating on them is hard. It's disgusting. You don't want to. The concept of cheating and violating something that you honor is not a pleasant experience. The challenge is, is that most of us have been told to take an approach to eating that doesn't honor us and isn't what we really want to do and that we don't really believe in. So frankly, you know, for 21 days, for 30 days, we have a 21 day program in the book. It's going to take some effort to change anything in your life, but it's never going to get easier to starve yourself ever. If you want to eat 1100 calories tomorrow, go ahead. And the day after you probably can day three, it's going to be terrible. Day four, it's going to be even worse. And then by day five, you're going to say, forget about it. This is crazy. I'm going to stop. But if you start eating more vegetables, you might say, these are disgusting. And the next day, you might say, these are disgusting. The day after that, you're going to be like, you know what? These aren't as disgusting anymore. And the day after that, and the day pretty soon, you'll be like, you know what? I miss my vegetables. This is crazy. So it actually gets easier and, and easier over time, which mm-hmm. is in sharp contrast to the way traditional diets work, which get harder and we fall off them over time. Do you have... Uh rice in your diet brown rice we have versions of rice so for example cauliflower rice or something cauliflower rice or even parsnip rice is one of my favorites because it actually stays firmer when you cook it cauliflower rice can get a little bit mushy Mm -hmm. so i really like parsnip rice personally but again that's rice is a great example of when we talk about sane eating it's a spectrum Right, so on one end of the spectrum is like ultra-sane kale, and on the other end of the spectrum is ultra-insane Mountain Dew. So, for example, brown rice is going to be saner than white rice because it has Mm -hmm. more nutrients per calorie, for example, than white rice. But if you just look, and this is what's beautiful about sane eating is it's not arguable, and it's not even about right or wrong. It's just about math usually. If you look at 100 calories worth of parsnip rice and you look at 100 calories worth of brown rice, the parsnip rice is more nutritious and it has Mm -hmm. less of a swing in your hormonal impact. It will be more satisfying calorie per calorie due to the fiber content, likely due to the protein content, and it's less efficiently stored as fat. So again, if you eat brown rice, are you a bad person? No. If you eat brown rice, are you wrong? No. If you ate parsnip rice instead of brown rice consistently over time, would you be healthier? Probably. Let me ask you this. If someone who does not need to lose weight chooses to go on your diet plan, will they lose weight? Depends on how they implement it, right? So we always talk about finding your sanity. And we say that very intentionally because if, for example, my 18-year-old, or my 18-year-old, not 18, my 18-month-old daughter, my 18-month-old daughter eats sane, but her sanity is going to be very different than my sanity because I'm not an 18-month-old little girl. But, for instance, if you're a 15-year-old, very athletic male, I would still recommend that you get a the, the 4,000 calories you need per day from yes. whole food fats instead of from some sugar-loaded weight gain powder. That's, that's not helpful. Or by pounding, you know, Pizza Hut pizzas. 
So no matter what your goal is, we're going we're gonna to recalibrate your sanity. So, for example, someone who is looking to reverse a metabolic meltdown, to reverse diabetes, they are going to be eating the, like two-thirds of their plate is going to be vegetables. And, and then the majority of the remaining bit of their plate is going to be nutrient-dense protein. Be using whole food fats relatively sparingly and low fructose fruits relatively sparingly because they really don't need any sugar. They've got enough stored energy on their body in the forms of body fat. They don't need to eat that much fat outside of the essential fats that they'll already get in their proteins because, again, they already have plenty of fat stored in their body. So they don't have a shortage of calories. They have a shortage of healing nutrients. Now, if you take the other side of the spectrum and you have a very thin adolescent who's extremely active, you know, I, when my daughter gets older and if she's athletic, I can tell you right now, I'm going to make her you know, wonderful, rich, creamy shakes full of like coconut manna and almond butter and cacao. And, you know, one shake is going to contain a thousand calories, but it's going to contain a thousand calories, which are not going to wreck her hormones. In fact, they're going to turbocharge her hormones to enable her best health. Gotcha. That's a good example because that was going to be my next question. If you're looking at whole food fat, um, you know, what do you do with that? It's very much a, like, think of food as medicine. I'm not Mm -hmm. by any means the first person who said that, but, you know, how do you use (laughs) Tylenol? Well, you know, I have a headache. Okay, well, that's going to require a different bit of medication for you uh, than if you have indigestion versus you if you have severe depression. So if you, you know, tell me the condition we're trying to treat and we will identify, there will be no situation in which insane foods will be the treatment. Even, in, I mean, there's going to be, there are even some exceptions to that. Like if you said, hey, the condition I have is I run out of energy while I'm running a marathon. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, th- then we might need to do some different things. But what we're talking about here is diabetes treatment and also avoiding diabetes. So the way we treat diabetes and the way we avoid diabetes is a very specific topic. Like, you know, a fire truck is neither a good or bad car. It's great if your house is on fire. It's probably a pain if you're leaving a wedding. But, you know, a fire truck is just a fire truck, and it's about using it in the right circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is no yeah, right circumstance point. for Mountain Dew. There's a lot of right circumstances for almonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not a vegetarian, and my thinking is how would you even figure it out? And I have all kinds of cookbooks, I mean, on and on and on, vegetarian cookbooks, et cetera, but I just find it difficult. To to eat vegetarian? Yes, to to yes, to, to actually prepare those meals on a daily basis. Um, you know, figuring out what yeah, and the I menu find- even look like. Yeah, so it's important to delineate vegetarianism from veganism because a lot of people put those two things together. So mm-hmm. the, the vegan means no animal food of any kind. So like eggs are not on the plate. There's no fish, nothing. Vegetarian, exactly. in some definitions, just means you don't eat meat, meaning fish and eggs and even potentially mm-hmm. dairy products are fine. Mm-hmm. 
I can't speak to vegetarianism or veganism because I'm not an expert in either one. But what I can tell you is that you could be a sane vegan or a sane vegetarian or an insane vegan or an insane vegetarian. And this is a critical freaking point because every single way of eating, all of them can either kill you or heal you if you do not do them in a sane way. Right? Mm-hmm. You could be a vegan and eat Doritos and Mountain Dew all day. That's a vegan. That's a vegan diet. There's no animal foods in that, and you're going to die. Gotcha. You could yeah, also yeah. be a carnivore on the carnivore diet and eat nothing but uh, – that mm-hmm. will kill you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not correct, about – we just need to focus on sanity. Mm-hmm. No, good point. I have some friends and um, their their daughter's married and they have a little girl and she's so tiny for her age because they're vegans. And, you know, I would think to myself, how is this kid going to get the proper nutrients for her bones to become strong and for her to develop properly? And, you know, she, she had a little skiing accident and broke her arm. I don't know. I don't know how they... How you balance that with children? My advice to everyone out there is to eat sanely because to do things like saying animal foods are bad and plants are good is not helpful. Tobacco is a plant. Sugar comes from a plant. So Mm -hmm. there are these broad sweeping statements which are not helpful and potentially very harmful now if you choose to eat a certain way because of religious beliefs or whatever whatever that's totally up to you and if you choose to eat a certain way because you believe it's better for the planet that's up to you what we're talking about here is nutritional medicine or what science has proven is best for humans and i want to be very clear that what's best for humans might not be what's best for cows I'm not here to talk about what's best for cows. I don't know what's best for cows. I'm not a cow expert. But what we do need to at least make some progress on is what should human beings eat? And then, like, once we can all get on the same page about that, which the actual experts are, and that's the irony, then we can talk about, okay, how do we do that with 7 billion people on the planet? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm not sure the planet was ever intended to have 7 billion people on it. That's a separate topic. But you know what? Right. Kale's really good for you. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Agree. <laughs> oh. When you talk about um, enabling excellence, you've, you've off made the statement that life is deeply worth living as a result. What do you mean? So many of us, and this, this could be a whole other show. We have an entire movie coming out about this called Better that we shot with the Harvard Medical School. Oh, good. Diabesity is chronically not even a nutrition problem. Like it's just not. It's not even an exercise problem. It's a shame problem because the only reason a human being would knowingly harm themselves is because they believe on some level they're worth harming or they're not worth protecting. So when you dig into this, and I've had the, 
privilege of digging into this with tens of thousands of people. And I don't mean to like end on a dark note and hopefully we can bring it back up to positive, but like, you know, these individuals, especially with their weight are treated like garbage in our society. Like you can openly mock, you can fire someone in like 47 States because of their weight. Like that's not even considered discreet. You just be like, you're fired because you're too fat. And that's, could you imagine me like you're fired because you're black or you're fired because you're gay or you're fired because you're a woman? Like that would be crazy, but you can fire someone because they're fat. So people usually develop a weight problem because of some trauma that happened in their life. And then the act of being overweight is in and of itself a 24, seven, 365 source of trauma. So this horrible shame and self degradation and constant shaming just reinforces this. I'm crap. So I'm going to eat crap. I'm crap. So I'm going to eat crap. And then I'm going to take medication, which screws up my metabolism even more. And then just downward spiral. But if we can fundamentally get back to our fundamental beauty and brilliance and intrinsic worth as people, like you wouldn't pee in the gas tank of a Ferrari. Like you wouldn't, you would not ever put something toxic or low quality in something that you believe is, is holy or beautiful or brilliant. You wouldn't, this is not how people work. If you ask someone, why don't you take heroin? The price is like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to put heroin in my body. Like, it's just kind of an absurd question. And I'm not here to say that Mountain Dew is like heroin, but I am here to say that does cause horrible damage to your body. And if you believed that your body was of the most beautiful, brilliant, magical, majestic nature, you would not feel any desire to harm it in any way any more than you would want to feed. I mean, this is another way to think of it. How many people would feed their dog Mountain Dew? Exactly. (laughs) But we'll feed our kids it. Like I wouldn't give my dog this, but I would give it to my child or I would give it to myself. Why Mm -hmm. is it that I see myself as less worthy than my dog? True. Oh, such a, such a tough thing. Well, you know, you're, you're doing really great work by educating the population. And, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, your book is just great. Why don't you let everybody know where they can get your book and then uh, your website, if they want to sign up for one of your programs, how they do it. Well, the book is available that, that anywhere books are sold. And, and we, like I said, we have a movie coming out. There's stuff happening so honestly if you want to just go one place to get all the information the best place is going to be our website and that's sane s-a-n-e solution.com again that's sane s-a-n-e solution.com wonderful well thank you so much for joining us today i have learned a lot and i think our listeners have as well and i wish you all the best in your continued quest for making everybody healthier and happier. Thank you so much for your time. Bye-bye. All right. That wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for listening in again. Join us again next Wednesday because we'll have another great guest for you. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.denise.com.
healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? 